It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main. Is 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 this the week that I play this all the way through? Nah, I don't think so because it uh, it goes for like uh, eighteen minutes. It's uh, the Inagata Devita of environmental songs. <laughs> yeah, but it was recorded in the <laughs> middle of the night. <laughs> you said so. There you go. I wish I could play that. Wish I could get away with uh, playing stuff on the on the inner tubes here, but you know they they come and they smack you down. Oh, well, miss the old days of radio. Uh, mm. Welcome to the show, everybody. Hey, ho, we've already got Bruce Bruce, who's uh, saying hi out there. And uh, uh, Bruce and, Bruce gave us the first high. Yeah, today. he did. You know, it's like that high five uh, up there and uh, and others will be joining us. And we're, we're glad to have you on board on it's a Sunday that uh, on which it's going to snow again. <laughs> you know, this is but what, it's not snowing now. That's and it's true. not below zero right now. No, we're going to have, we're going to get above freezing today. How about, how about that? Wow. Let's, uh, let's, let's get a cheer for uh, wow. above uh, freezing temperatures for the first time in about two weeks, right? Since Feb- February 4th, I believe. And this guy's out been looking for uh, uh, above freezing temperatures. Steve, 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 Steve. <laughs> Steve and the above. Steve? Steve. Steve. Well, I mean, I could do. Alan. 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 All right, we could. Alan. Do... So I presume that's Steve. Uh, who's saying Alan? That might be. I hadn't thought about that. No, I thought it was the same. Uh... And Alan saying Steve. Steve. I thought, Steve. Thought it was the same. Uh, same animal there. So anyway. We're, uh, we're not watching. We're listening. Uh, so wow. Good morning, Amos. Good morning, Zan. Good morning, Scott. Wayne. Dan Costa, Beth, we've, Skeet. We've, we've got enough for a softball team uh, right here. And I'm going to start and, this. And still they haven't sent donuts and cinnamon rolls. Come on, guys. I thought you were doing that this week. I thought you were in charge of the uh, the cinnamon rolls and donuts. Uh, but I did want to let uh, – by the way, folks, uh, today on the show, uh, you're going to enjoy this. Uh, you know, I hope you enjoy the show every Sunday morning live or if you watch the, the stream afterward by the way speaking of the stream is the uh the fb 
working there on it, yep it fired right away on your webs on your on your personal how page. about that how about that okay how cool. about that yeah <laughs> Uh, it did. It didn't fire last week, so that's uh, it's up there now. That's good. It got, it, well, you threatened to fire it if it didn't fire. So there <laughs> yeah, you right. Go. Exactly. But I'm bump. Uh, oh wait, that's that's here too. See, I've got all of the stuff. Thank you. It's all at the all at the ready here. No, I'm just going to get them all out of the way now because we've got really cool guests here, and they're not going to want to deal with all that nonsense. Uh, we're talking about the One Earth Film Festival today, and it starts um, in less than two weeks. On the 5th of March, um, and it's uh, all virtual this year. You, it's all streaming, and uh, it's, uh, you, you get online and you watch some. I've, I've seen already several of mm-hmm. the films. I've seen about four of them, um, and uh, really good stuff. Uh, and we've been previewing some of them on the show for the last few and weeks. And we have two of the filmmakers with us this morning cool. so uh, i'm very pleased uh, to do that and then we talk uh after you know a long uh, 10 years one of the things that uh, the film festival is doing is celebrating 10 years of um of making things special uh what's what's the um of um uh, oh, and I had it in front of me, and now I don't have it in front of me. This is how things work with me. I should never ad lib. I should never what? try. It. Huh? They're celebrating ten years of environmental good. Ten years of inspiring change. Inspiring change. That was it. Although I called it ten years of uh, environmental good, mm-hmm. uh, and and the reason I mentioned that is because we have another person on the show who's been doing good for just a little more than ten years, and that's Erlene Howard from Collective Resource Compost. And uh, in full disclosure, uh, both of those efforts are sponsors of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And it's one of those deals where it makes me happy because I love prom- promoting good works. I love promoting companies and, and efforts um, that mm-hmm. change the world in a good way. And uh, the fact that they're helping us, it's, it's a win-win deal. Now, before we get to them, we're going to jump right into that. I have a pop quiz since we got all these pop folks quiz signing in, yeah, because uh, 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 Jessica Rink uh, typed me this week, um, um, Snappy J Dog, if you're following on Twitter, uh, and said uh, that she also had ten thousand sparrows in her backyard. As you know, I've been complaining that I put the bird f- and I and I just changed it. I walked in the snow in my tennis shoes, tennis shoes. To put tennis the, shoes. T- my tennis shoes to put um, uh, stuff in the feeder, the seed and the corn and all the stuff, and um, uh, and then walk back in and uh, earlier. You took off the, your wet tennis shoes. No, I'm leaving them on. They're going to dry on my feet here. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way it's going to work. No, that's too much effort at this point. So I I, I put more stuff in the feeder and and the ten thousand sparrows, of course, have showed up again. But earlier this week. <laughs> I had a visit from a different bird, I, and I got the monocular out there, and I was looking at the bird, and I'm pretty sure I did an ID. Uh, and so that's our pop quiz. Here's You have three choices as to what the bird might have been. All right. Who, who read your Facebook page? I didn't put it on the Facebook page. Oh, okay. No, I didn't. I, the only person who knew about it was you. So... Um, was the bird that showed up in my yard along with the 10,000 sparrows, was the bird A, 
a male Cassin's finch, B, a giant condor, ah. or C, an emperor penguin. So it was one of those three. If you want to do that for the whole show, you, you'll stay <laughs> no. warm. You'll stay warm. Either It was either a, a male Cassin's finch, a giant condor, or an emperor penguin. Uh, and Are you asking I, me or our viewers? No, I'm asking our viewers, uh, and Uh-oh. I'm sh- and I'm sure they'll come up with some creative okay, answers. Okay, Bruce says C, <laughs> and you're right. All right. <laughs> I, and what fabulous Wally prize does he win? I don't have a Wally prize for Bruce Bruce <laughs> at the moment because it was a silly contest. It was not me- so. Uh, but thank uh, you. I think Carol Freeman. Carol Freeman. I think got the correct answer. Um. I was kind of excited, actually, because I saw all these birds out there. And, and, and if we're getting uh, responses, maybe I shouldn't give it away. But uh, as I said, it was a silly contest. But um, I was out there, and I looked with the monocular and was very excited to see something that wasn't a sparrow at the feeder. And then I followed it up into the tree, and then I went to the— A little bit of red, go, red going by on the A little bird. bit of red, uh, red uh, uh, hair— <laughs> red hair red a, a red wig right a red a wig. crown a red crown crown that's it and a red breast um and so i ran to the computer and looked it up and then ran back to the window and it was still it, there in your tennis shoes in my tennis shoes which had not been in the snow uh and and there you go so uh it ten thousand finches and the uh what, one sparrow one male Cassin's finch. <laughs> and I, I don't know how it survives, but there you go. Uh, all right. Well, uh, we need to get uh, this uh, underway. As I mentioned before, we are talking this week about the One Earth Film Festival. We have a couple of directors. Let's bring them in, as you can see on your lower left, Christy Cooper, who's the uh, producer and director, and she's waving hi. Uh, Christy, and uh, on our right... From Bozeman, Montana? Yeah, Bozeman, Montana, which is a great... So we have we have Christy Cooper, who's, who's in Bozeman, Montana right now, and on your right in the bottom is Shannon Germain. Is that how you pronounce the last name, Shannon? Yeah. Okay. And you're in Maryland. Where in Maryland are you located? I'm in Annapolis. Annapolis. Okay. So we have uh, the... Uh, Mountain Time, Central Time, and Eastern Time all represented on the show this morning. And Christy and Shannon have both produced films that are being shown at the One Earth Film Festival. Um, And uh, let's start with Christy, and then I'm going to move over to Shannon and talk a little bit about her special participation in the show um, I wish I could show your film, Shannon. I really wanted to do that. I might show a little bit of Christie's, but they warned me. They said, well, it's only six minutes long, and we really want people to sign in on the 13th of March to see the film because uh, you're with the young filmmakers, uh, and we'll get to that in a second. But let's let's start real quick with Christie. Tell us a, a little bit about yourself. I, I know that you're an award-winning winning, uh, cinematographer, um, You've got a Ph.D. in neuroscience and an M.S. in microbiology. What the heck are you doing making films? 
<laughs> yeah, well, I, it's a good question. Um, yeah, my I spent 16 years in um, preclinical basic research, um, working on stem cells, and I was wow. in Europe for for those years um, in Germany and Sweden, um, working at universities there. Um, and my stem cell research kind of led more into communication and science communication and. Um, long story short, I was seeking another way to be able to tell stories about science or to be able to increase, you know, public awareness and understanding of science. And so I came back to the U.S., um, landed here in Montana, got my MFA at Montana State University. They have a MFA in science and natural history filmmaking, which is specifically geared towards teaching scientists how to become film producers and directors. And so that's kind of where I landed. <laughs> and, and you end up making a film, though, that's not really, it's not about science. It's not really science. Right. It's no. not science per se at all. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a film called Ute versus Gov. Youth. Oh, I Youth know. Gov, I, yeah. No, no, no. I'm, I'm sorry. It was, that was my... He's um, being <coughs> goofy. That was, that was my Joe Pesci from my brother, or my, my cousin Vinny. Are you familiar with... My cousin with? Vinny, yeah. Yeah, you... Youth. So, and I just had to do the youth joke once. Youth Gov. Yeah, youth yeah, v, there we go. Youth, 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 <laughs> youth v Gov. Um, yeah. And it's uh, I saw it the other night, and a really, really good film. Um, mm -hmm. A really wonderful job uh, putting it together. And it's about a bunch of kids. And, and if you go to my website, MikeNovak.net, uh, and I want to say kids, and some of them are now in their 20s, um, mm -hmm. uh, who sued the government basically over climate change. Uh, and and you've right. been and you've been following this, uh, and uh, and and we're going to uh, talk about that uh, in more detail. And I I hope we can in a little bit show uh, a clip uh, from the, the film because and I'm interested in in what happens when a filmmaker gets involved uh, in a story that doesn't end in six months yeah. or or a year. <laughs> you've been filming this for about. Five or six years five now. Years. Yeah, yeah, five years. Wow. So, yeah, that's a that's a, a long commitment. Uh, and by the way, folks, um, the One Earth Film Festival starts on March fifth, and it goes through the fourteenth of March. You can go to oneearthfilmfest.org to see the full list of films there. And one of the things uh, that they're doing is. The Young Filmmakers Contest, and uh, in honor, I don't know if it was in honor of the 10th anniversary of the One Earth Film Festival, but they chose 10 winning films in uh, a bunch of categories. Apparently, there were uh, 149 entries, students 8 to 25 made films, um, and categories like uh, Elementary School Award and Middle School Award. Uh, we happen to have the high school award winner, and that's Shannon on the lower right there, Shannon Germain. And Shannon, good morning. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? <laughs> okay. I'm all right. And now, you you said you're in uh, Annapolis, Maryland, but you went, are you still going to school or did you go to school in Ann Arbor, Michigan? Um, so I go to an off-campus program. So, like, I'm in Maryland, but the school's based in um, Michigan. Okay. Uh, and uh, uh, so you're you're getting ready to go back as well, right? 
to um go back to um Ann Arbor. Where um I, I've never been to Michigan in my life. It's oh. on campus because I'm I'm homeschooled. Oh, you keep saying off campus, and I keep thinking that it's okay. The see, this is me stuck in my own uh, pre-COVID brain. Uh, I ke- I kept thinking, well, the building is uh, outside of Ann Arbor, but you're you're you've been doing this all online, is what you've been doing, is that right? Yeah, I I, I go to online school. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, well, see, now I've got that all figured out. Um, and uh, so from uh, Annapolis, you've attended this school. And, okay, I have to ask, what made you decide to do this film? You did a, a film called Plastic Crisis, Our Oceans in Peril. Uh, it's, a short <laughs> fi- it's a short film. And um, uh, what made you decide to do this? Had you done other films before? Uh, and why Plastics? Um, I actually haven't done any documentary films before, um, so I um, really wanted to open people's eyes to the problem of plastics, and I think too many people think that by just recycling, they're doing enough, but that's not nearly enough, because we're still making too many new plastics and not using the recycled products. Would you like to come to Chicago and explain that to our city council? Um, you could, and, and, and that's, as uh, anybody who watches this show knows, that's something Peggy and I have been talking about forever, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea being not only reduce, reuse, recycle, but refuse. I'm sure you've heard that R as well, Shannon. Um, sometimes yeah. some people use the word mm-hmm. rethink, which is uh, just don't even consider uh, buying plastic. But So you did this film. And you interviewed a, a lot of people. Did you have a hard time tracking down folks that you wanted to uh, interview for the film? It was it was pretty hard, but I I was I actually found some people. Um, like I had to ask a lot of people, and some people couldn't do it. It's of course hard to interview during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. But you uh, had people from Greenpeace and a lot of other big organizations. So, yeah, I was impressed by that. Now that you didn't great. you didn't actually have. Uh, what's his name, uh, Ted Danson, on there, but you, you use clips of Ted. I was kind of hoping that you, you had an in with Ted Danson so that I could say, hey, would you send me his email address so I could get him on the show? Uh, but you used some clips of him testifying, and, and you had interviews with other folks. Did you, uh, uh, did you find that it was hard to get them to understand that you were serious about what you were doing? I'm sure some people looked at you and at the time you were probably only 13 when you were putting this together because um, you're 14 now right um, and do you think there were some people who didn't take you seriously um, I actually started it when I was 14 because I like started producing in fall last fall um, okay I, um, I don't think it was I don't think people really maybe people didn't think I was serious but I'm not really sure <laughs> okay I, well so, so how- go ahead Peggy I was going to say, so how do you approach, you know, the whole project of then going to Greenpeace and going to the other organizations to create the film from high school? Was this something that you had some some backing with your teachers to do? You did it on your own? I did it on my own, actually. I just um, emailed them and they um, wanted to be interviewed, some of them. Some of them couldn't, but a lot of them could. But you say you had not done anything like this before. Yeah, I actually haven't. I'm I'm new to uh, this. Is my first actual documentary. Wow, you did a fabulous job. It's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. She gets a she gets a ding 
uh, from this. Yes, an applause from uh, Christy, Christy Cooper. Uh, yeah, a really, really remarkable job. So what was the hardest part about putting uh, the documentary together? Were you comfortable? With, you know, was it more about writing it or was it more about editing it? Was uh, the sound a problem? Was the, were the visuals a problem? What was the hardest part for you? Um, it was all pretty complex. Um, maybe interviewing, but, um, also editing was like a long time because I got some issues with editing. (laughs) Who doesn't, uh, have issues with (laughs) editing? Uh, Christy, would you, (laughs) do you want to spend a couple of days with uh, Shannon and tell her uh, about editing, uh, problems? I, it could it could probably last a week. Yeah, I, I think so. What <laughs> Master you, course. What you're learning, Shannon, is uh, this is hard stuff. In uh, all of it, uh, I mean, and and even even this, this is, you know, putting images on the screen and matching them with the sound and getting it all to 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 roll smoothly. This is the goal. This is what everybody tries to do, whether it's live, uh, what we're doing now, or or what you've done. So the question that Peggy and I had, we were talking about this the other day, uh, and we were wondering what your classmates thought about it. Now, part of the problem of doing virtual school is I assume you don't just hang around with the, the kids you go to school with. Uh, do you at all? And, and if you do, how, um, does that, how does that work out? Actually, I don't. I'm not really sure who, like, all my classmates are, actually. Like, my friends are, like, usually from outside of the school. Like, I usually mm-hmm. don't meet a lot of people in school, but, like, at other places. Wow. Yeah. So, so of your friends, then, you know, what are their opinions on plastics recycling versus reducing versus not using plastics? Where do, where do most of your friends stand? Um, I think my friends um, support less using less plastic. I think they probably know more about it than most adults, just because I won't shut mm-hmm. up about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I guess so from from your perspective, then how do you approach either people your age or adults or parents, maybe not yours, but other parents, to explain it? What's what is your approach to to really explain the problem? Um. Basically, um, since the oceans are filling up with so much plastic and um, a lot of it doesn't get recycled, um, that is why it's a huge problem. Um, yeah, um, I said I am. Um... Well, you talk about in the film oh, how yeah, how yeah. Uh, the plastics break down. And if you like fish, you're probably eating plastic. Uh, and yeah. and it's going to get worse and worse as we go on. I guess the question is, how You're do you drinking plastic? Right. How do you talk your friends, uh, and and your uh, parents and uh, anybody you know into cutting back their plastic use? How do you do that? Um, um I send. I usually like send them to watch my documentary, and <laughs> I yell at them to stop using so much plastic. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, see, people tell me all the time, Shannon, that yelling at people doesn't work. That you have to, uh, you have to be, uh, you you attract more flies with honey than you do with battery acid. Just you want, if you want to write that down, you can you can write that down. Uh, but no, I get I get it. I bet it, it's got to be a little bit frustrating to you because yeah. it is frustrating to us, and we know what a serious problem is. One of the guys you. Uh, 
you inter- you have a, a clip from in your film is testifying and says, "Well, you know how good plastics are. They in in medicine, we couldn't uh, we couldn't do half of what we're doing now without plastics." Uh, how do you respond to that? Um, in that film, well, I um, after, are you talking about the um, Tony Radoski one? It might be. I don't remember the name. Yeah, I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah. I um, I show them to um, like um, I'm kind of nervous for this interview. No, no, so that's that's. You're, 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 like you're doing great, questions. Shannon. Shannon, you. Um, and and one of the things that you can say, uh, <laughs> if you get nervous in an interview, uh, just to put people in your place, you say, "I think my film speaks for itself." Okay, you get to you, <laughs> uh, you, you get to say that. I think my film oh. speaks for itself. No, no, you're doing great, Shannon. Uh, so, let me ask you: Are you planning to do any more films based on? I mean, after all, you won uh, an award for this. You got. Uh, uh, Three hundred and fifty dollars, and another three hundred and fifty is going to go to uh, a concern that you have. You've you've decided to put three hundred dollars, three hundred fifty dollars uh, to uh, the Plastic Ocean Project. What's the Plastic Ocean Project? Um, the Plastic Ocean Project. They do hands-on work cleaning plastic off on the off the beaches. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and this is something that Peggy does too. Uh, tell Peggy, tell uh, Shannon what you do uh, with the Great Lakes here. Uh, there's a program called Adopt a Beach through Alliance for the Great Lakes, which is part of the larger ocean cleanup and and shoreline cleanups that happen every September with the Ocean Conservancy. And so, thousands and thousands in the Chicago area and the Great Lakes area, for one particular day, will clean up and measure and weigh and catalog everything and the amount of microplastics and the little bits of plastics on the beach that we find in the great lakes are just incredible. Uh, it's just unbelievable and scary. So you it, thank you for shining a light on this for doing the film. Yeah, it's great that you've got money going towards that. So so what's what's next for you? What is it you want to do next in terms of filmmaking? Um I'm thinking about making more films, and they'll probably be environmental films, but I may do some more travel films. Travel films? Why Why travel films? Yeah. Um, I'm actually a vlogger on my YouTube channel, Nix the Norm. I hope you get your viewers to subscribe to my YouTube channel, please. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yeah, and, um, I did a lot of travel films before, like on my YouTube channel, I, I because I like travel a lot. But with the pandemic, I stopped doing that. Uh, all right, tell us about Nix the Norm. It's N I X T H E N O R M. Is it dot com? Yeah, yeah, I have a website too, and it's also um, the name of my YouTube channel. And so go to YouTube, Nix the Norm, or go to the uh, the website. Uh, what happens on Nix the Norm? So I started. I started my first video when I was twelve. It was like. Um, I'm trying to remember what it was. It was a, so I was, um, during the government shutdown a couple years ago when I was 12, I was like really upset because a lot of my friends' parents weren't getting paid. So I did my first YouTube video. It was a parody of Ozzy Osbourne's Crazy Train and it's called Shutdown Train. And it was basically yelling at members of Congress and the president to stop holding my friends' parents' paychecks hostage while they're doing their political stuff. 
In fact, the government shutdown ended the day after I posted it. I'm sure that was just a coincidence, but I like to pretend <laughs> that it was because of my video. I don't. And after th- that, I just and after that, I just kept vlogging. At first, I started doing travel vlogs since I love to travel, but then the pandemic hit, so I started like a series on homeschooling, and that led into my first documentary, which I won the award for. Wow. Wow. You know what? I, I don't think it was a coincidence. I think uh, that it, it was Nick's the norm that uh, caused that to happen. Uh, let me ask you one more question, then, I, then I'm going to let you go, and we're going to move on, on to Christy. Um, what has it been like for you as a student uh, getting through, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're getting out of uh, middle school, and you're going in, into high school, and you got to do it all online. Um, is this been an issue for you do you miss uh meeting students in person uh or or is is this some other have you uh thrived in this situation um i really um do miss my friends but we do play games on zoom a lot so um we still get to hang out virtually um yeah the Mm -hmm. pandemic really impacted me it was really weird yeah uh i also go ahead okay i i also um miss playing in my rock band like I did before the pandemic. And what instrument do you play? Um, I sang and did guitar. You do a little bit nice. of everything, don't you? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I can't wait till you can get back in school. I, I'll bet you can't wait to get back in school. Uh, if folks want to take part in this, they can go to one earth film fest. Uh, and the, the, uh, what's going to happen is on the 13th, all of the uh, student films are going to be shown, um, and you will. And most of them are, are pretty short. Um, in fact, those were the rules, uh, and uh, they're going to be unveiled uh, at at that time. And some of them are animations, some of them are live, like like yours uh, with interviews. And um, uh, that all happens at OneEarthFilmFest.org. Shannon, this has been great. We really really appreciate the fact that uh, you were able to take time and talk to us uh, about your film. I will let you go. And then uh, uh, I hope I get to meet you in person at some point. Thanks again. Keep telling your story, Shannon. Thanks. Yep. Bye. From Thanks, some, Shannon. from somebody who knows there. Uh, yeah. Bye. Keep on working it. All right. It's the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki. There goes Shannon. And when we come back, We're going to uh, talk about a different kind of film with Christy Cooper, who's uh, in Montana, and we'll be right back. At Sitka Salmon Shares, we take pride in being a seafood company that's a little different. In fact, 10 seasons ago, our motto was we do salmon differently. Nowadays, we harvest 15 species of wild-caught Alaskan fish, but still call ourselves Sitka Salmon Shares because, well, we're a little different. Our difference starts with our fleet of fishermen who own a slice of the company Mm. and are paid above industry average. They deliver fish to our docks in about half the time as other fishermen, which means higher quality of fish for you. And we never buy our fish from large processors where we don't know how each fish was caught or handled, like most other companies do. Another difference is our fish plant, which we own too. Our plant freezes fish about twice as cold and twice as fast as the other guys. This produces unparalleled quality at a cellular level. Our difference extends to you, too. By joining our community, you band together with thousands of other people who want to make a difference in the way that their food is produced. 
This allows our fishermen to harvest fish just for you with the respect, thought, and care that the fish, the ocean, and you deserve. So be a little different. Join us at SitkaSalmonShares.com. At this time of year, we spend a lot of time indoors with our plants, so help them thrive. The plants you're viewing were treated with Leafzyme, a foliage spray designed to activate beneficial microbes already present on the leaves. A spritz every few weeks promotes growth-enhancing microorganisms that process dust and other particles into nutrition that indoor plants can absorb through their leaves for beautiful and vigorous growth. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. You have the ability to give your soil a superpower. It's called composting. If you don't have a backyard, you need to contact Collected Resource Compost. CRC has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. They bring you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter from your kitchen, they swap it out and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. And speaking of the One Earth Film Festival, Peggy. As you've already heard, today we're talking about the One Earth Film Festival. Leading up to the festival, we've been showing you trailers of some of the great films that will be presented this year. Today, these very special people want to tell you what it means to be celebrating 10 years of inspiring change. About 10 years ago, something big happened. Something that changed the world. I was born. So was I. Me too. And so was the One Earth Film Festival. Since 2012, the festival has been bringing us awesome movies about the environment. This year, there's movies about mushrooms. Fungi are old friends. Films that will inspire you to change the world. And think twice about plastic. We need to fight for environmental justice now. Clean air and water should not be a luxury. What happened in Flint, Michigan should never happen again. Let's stop treating our dirt like dirt. Everyone deserves a healthy place to live. Let's fight climate change. Let's ride two wheels to a cleaner future. Let's take action to protect our planet. Because we've only got one. We can't live on the moon. It's colder than Chicago. So be ready to be moved. Be ready to be amazed. Be ready to make change. The One Earth Film Festival. Be there. square as they say did you see in that peggy the prairie dog that was that lifted its head and yelled alan mm-hmm. alan alan yeah alan alan <laughs> Al, alan steve <laughs> steve christy you know what we're referring to don't you i do, <laughs> it, I do. I'm, I'm so glad you do i'm so glad you get the joke that is just so wonderful well and and, and now that we can play video we need to put that up one week you're right. I need to do the video version. Okay, that's that's something uh, to do. <laughs> I'll, I'll taking a note. 
Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Christy Cooper, thank you for your patience. Really appreciate it. And so good to have you here uh, so we can talk thank about you. your film, uh, Youth uh, VGov. Um, and uh, as I said, I, I saw it the other night. Uh, really, uh, really remarkable job uh, on a really difficult Fabulous. subject. Yeah. Uh, and the idea of following a court case. I mean, uh, all right, let's let's put it this way. People love movies about courtroom drama. They love courtroom dramas. They just they just do. But there's a difference uh, if you can get David Mamet to write your screenplay and you have to go out and shoot it yourself. For one thing, most of the time you're not allowed in court, so you have to do everything surrounding that. Uh, I was kind of amazed at one of the uh, the scenes towards the end of your film where there's a group of people and the court proceedings are being shown via video to this huge group of people outside that doesn't happen a whole lot does it no that's i don't think i've ever um seen anything like a live feed from a an oral argument hearing projected onto a you know a big park screen um the the nonprofit organization that represents the youth have done a really great job um around promoting the hearings or any of the happenings that are happening in the case. You know, they do, they do a really good job of bringing people, bringing young people, encouraging them to be a part of the process, coming to the courthouse, listening to the hearings. Um, That particular moment was in Portland and it was projected onto a big screen at Prospect Park. Mm -hmm. And that was a, that was pretty amazing. And I had my filmmaker, I had some of my crew there filming what the, you know, the audience that couldn't make it into the courtroom was experiencing. And then we had another crew inside the courtroom as well. So how did you get involved <laughs> in this? How does a girl from uh, Missoula uh, get Bozeman. involved? Bozeman. Oh, you're from Bozeman. I'm sorry. I said, I'm yeah. sorry. Bozeman. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I have that in my head because that's my <laughs> frame of reference. I've been to Missoula. I have a friend who lives in uh, I've Missoula. I've been to Bozeman. Uh, have you been to Bozeman? <laughs> okay, great. Cool. So we've both been to Montana. Uh, so <laughs> in Bozeman, how does the girl from Bozeman get involved in this? When I moved back to the U.S. and started my MFA program at MSU, I became part of a project um, that was organized by Witness. It's a social justice human rights organization based out of um, New York. It's actually Peter Gabriel's organization. Hmm. They use video for social change. And this project was in collaboration with Our Children's Trust, um, who is the legal nonprofit um, representing the kids in in the case. We did a series of 10 short films focused on young people that were suing their state governments. Hmm. And this was a project that ended up kind of, you know, bleeding into maybe two to three years of my life and my partner, Kelly Matheson on the project, as well as some of the other MSU grads worked on um, this project. And so it was kind of my steep learning curve into climate litigation, a lot of legal concepts, also first time filming with young people, which is a really different type of filmmaking, or at least there's different um, challenges and aspects of that that you have to think of think about and we were coming at this from a human rights perspective Mm -hmm. so I had the opportunity to work with some of these young people back in 2011 and 12 Shita Scott Martinez in the film as well as Kelsey Juliana 
and continued to have this, you know, relationship with them over the years. As in 19, and, uh, sorry, in 2015, when the plaintiffs filed this new federal case, I was following it intimately. I, you know, was um, friends with the legal team and following that story um, and was, you know, pretty, um, had a pretty close relationship with Scott and Kelsey as well. So when they had their first big win in the courts in the spring of 2016, that was the moment that I realized I kind of needed to drop everything else that I was doing and my other projects and put my focus and energy into this story. Yeah, um, it's, I, it's, it's amazing what one court decision will do to change the momentum of a case like that, isn't it? Absolutely. The first case that was filed in 2010 was dismissed um, pretty soon after. So the legal team went back to the drawing board. They came up with a much stronger case that has a constitutional basis. And this, there there was just a sense, I think also from the legal community that this case um, had, you know, real legs to stand on. To hear a judge say that these plaintiffs had a constitutional right to a healthy atmosphere, it, it, you know, it just, I don't know, it just felt like it was the right moment in time for me to jump onto this. Yeah, let's, uh, let's explain real quick uh, to the folks uh, now who are wondering, well, well, what, what, what did they sue the government about? And and basically, you you alluded to it. who are these kids? Yeah, uh, who are the kids? There's 21 of them. Um, it's a, it's an amazing group. Uh, some of them are very charismatic and you can see that, uh, they have futures, uh, in, uh, in activism. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of them continued, but basically the idea was that, uh, the, the youth sued the U S government because the government was keeping them from fulfilling their, uh, moving forward with their lives and, and, and their rights to health and happiness and, and, and a future. Right? Uh, is right. that is that close enough? Yeah, I mean, the basis of the of the claim is that the government has actively harmed these young people, um, has violated their the, constitutional rights. The U.S. Rights. government. The U.S. government has violated their constitutional rights to life, liberty, property, security. Um, also um, violated the public trust doctrine, and that young people are disproportionately impacted by these harms. You can't sue the government for inaction or for not doing something. And I think that's an important point that a lot of people don't always understand about this case. You can't, their, their claim is that the government has actively harmed them. The government has taken actions that has created this crisis. And so we, you know, in the story, go back to the 50s and 60s and show what the government has known what the government's own scientists have known over these decades, what they were telling the administration, what the, you know, the, the, the various presidential administrations understood about the science and about the dangers of increased greenhouse gas emissions. And what I want to and say, then the actions that they took. Right. And, and you, you document that very well. And that's part of what I like about this film. It's not just the story you tell, but it's also an education and all the best documentaries tell a story, but they also educate you. They teach you something. Um, and you do these timelines uh, and folks, if you're sitting back there and you're going to say, well, you know, the Democrats have been always been the good guys and the Republicans have always been the bad guys, right? And you can see Christie shaking her head. No, they all did it. 
They were all on board the e- uh, even Jimmy Carter. The fossil, yes, even, even Jimmy, Jimmy Carter. Carter. They were all on board the fossil fuel train, and nobody in. The amazing thing is, having lived through those times, those people didn't even think about uh, any other way. I mean, yes, Jimmy Carter did put solar panels on top of the White House and then turned around and signed a huge fossil fuel deal. And endorsed uh, deal, the coal industry. Endorsed the coal mm-hmm. industry. I mean, we um, – and, and yeah, it's, you know – It's very it's- – it's very complex because, yes. we, you know, in, in my research and, and digging deep into this, it's, you know, I think a lot of these presidents have had good intentions. A lot of the administrations have had good intentions. President Carter had a huge conservation initiative that he, you know, wanted to, to not only bring renewable energy, but, but to, to also conserve energy. But at the same time, we had the oil crisis. And, and so there's, there, there are, you know, there's external influences that happen there's things that happen in our lives and in society and we have decisions to make and i think this is what you know this is what i really was trying to hone in on is that yes things are complicated and yes we have needed energy and yes we needed um a a a a national source of energy so that maybe we weren't always having these you know conflicts with other countries around oil and energy but there's other decisions we could have made. It, we didn't have to go down the fossil fuel path. You know, we could have already in the 70s been well steeped into the well. And and, and another thing that's important is that, and again, this is not something you really get into, but we know now the oil companies knew this. They knew what was happening to the planet. They knew this well in advance. You do allude to some of that in the film. Uh, so if they knew, the government knew. And the government still didn't do anything. We've, we've, we have for decades said, ah, we'll deal with this uh, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Uh, we'll, we'll get through it. Something will change. But nothing changed. I mean, we're, you know, all you got to do is look at uh, Texas this week and the governor right. saying, you know what the fault of this is? It's those darn windmills out there. That's what's causing the problem, and you just you just want to you just want to shake him. You just want to shake him until his teeth rattle. Um, but um, that's where we are. <laughs> that's where we are. So what I would like to do here is show um, a little clip. It's not, as you say, it's not technically a trailer, uh, Christy, but this is a clip from the film, uh, and uh, I think uh, folks uh, will enjoy it. We come from all corners of the United States, from really different backgrounds, different cultures, all working together on this. And that's a really amazing feeling. It's kind of nice because I'm an only child to have other siblings that care about all the same things that I do. We can lean on each other. It's like, we're in this together, we understand. One more bag of the kids is. We must stand with the 21 kids demanding government action on cli- hashtag climate change today. That's him? That is Leo DiCaprio. Are you sure that's him? Let me see here. He has 15.9 million followers. It's probably the same one. <laughs> that was nice. It's been posted for 10 minutes. There's already people at the courthouse right now. There's like people standing outside. I 
and I'm going to fade there because for some reason when I was loading this, the sound cut out right at that point mm. as they're oh, no. <laughs> But that's okay. There's only a few seconds left in the, uh, in, in the trailer. Uh, and uh, what, what's kind of interesting about this whole thing, uh, it's, you, I don't, you don't see a lot of court cases where there's a cheering section. Uh, what, what's kind of amazing is some of the, the shots you took uh, where uh, they come out of courtroom and there's, there's uh, uh, crowds and applause. It's like a, a rock concert. It's a, uh, so there were a lot of people following who have been following this case, and it's been going on for five years. And really, it's not quite over yet, is it, Christy? That's right. Um, yeah, so it's it's been really interesting seeing this movement grow since I started filming with these with these young people. Seeing the climate movement, you know, be a very, um, you know, maybe my age <laughs> of people that you would see being involved in this to it being very much youth led now, and that has definitely happened over the course of of working with these with these young people and following this case and they just have an amazing way of getting young people activated and having entire school groups show up to these hearings and actually being present in the courtroom and listening yeah. to this and being engaged in their own democracy. Um, and what was the second part of the question you asked? Sorry. <laughs> I, d I don't remember, but what I want to do uh, is, uh, is show you uh, pop up a, a photo here of oh, we got the, Shannon back on screen there. Uh, uh, no, we don't. No. Uh, <laughs> and uh, um, we, uh, uh, this is the group, uh, and uh, it's what I want to ask you about that is you must have grown very close to these these kids, and they grew close to each other, didn't they? They did, and when they first joined this uh, lawsuit as, as plaintiffs in this lawsuit, most of them did not know each other. There is a handful of young people from um, the Eugene area that that knew each other and had been involved in, um, you know, various climate actions. Kelsey was a big was a big part of recruiting a lot of those Kel local, Kelsey Juliana. Um, Kelsey Juliana, she's the named plaintiff on the case, and right. she's from Eugene, Oregon, and she was a plaintiff on a case for the state of Oregon and had been doing a lot of local activism. So a lot of the young people from that area, you know, came in through Kelsey's influence. But it was very interesting because when they, when, you know, these early hearings, these young people didn't know each other, and they were coming from mm -hmm. all over, from Alaska, Louisiana, Florida, Hawaii, New York, you know, and... Um, not really having any connection and, you know, shy around each other. And it's amazing over the course of these years to have seen this group become a family unit and so supportive of each other. And I think part of it was this experience of uh, being in a, in a, being in a story that only those people understood what they were going through. And I think that was very uniting for this group and to know that they were in this fight together. And, you know, it didn't matter what background they came from, that this, these 21 young people represent America, in my opinion. Yeah. They, they represent yeah. young people of America. It's an incredibly diverse group um, that come from very different cultural backgrounds um and parts of the country that areas. and 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 places of the country that have experienced dis different kinds mm -hmm. of uh climate crisis climate impacts yeah, yeah climate absolutely. impact yeah and yeah. and one of the interesting things i that i like one of the sub stories is vic who was in in that picture the second from the right in the front row 
discussion with, I presume that was the father, mm-hmm. that, that was wasn't father. quite convinced about climate change. No, and, and that's, how, I think that's even by the end, something... he's still trying to convince him. Yeah, and I think that's something a lot of people assume. I think with 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 young activists is that the parents have pushed them into these roles, and that's not the case with these young people at all. And I think Vic's story really um, shows that Vic was very engaged since he was fourteen in climate activism, and his father is a climate skeptic, and you know really was not very involved in the work that. Vic was doing despite having spoken before the UN and, you know, having all of this national attention. And not um, convinced and not convinced after (laughs) his son had done all this remarkable work and is working on this case and the case is moving forward and his father's, uh, well, I still don't believe it. Um, And you just scratch your head. Yeah. And, and yeah, but at the same, but at the same time we see, you know, at, at the end of the film that he's willing to let his son teach him. And I think that's a that's a really beautiful message is that young people yeah. really have a lot to teach their parents today. And, uh, you know, I think this having this these conversations that are filled with empathy and the willingness to listen, I think, was a was a way for them to connect and talk about this and for Kevin to potentially be open to listening to what his son hmm. has to say. So um, we only have a couple of minutes left. And. Uh, it's remarkable to have a did you know you were going to have to spend years putting this together uh so how how do you feel when suddenly it's three years down the road and you realize this could be another three years this might go in fact i look at the film now and i'm thinking there could still be another end to this you might have to go back in and re-edit well, we actually did this week. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, yeah, it's um, <clears throat> it's it was incredibly challenging following a story where I didn't know it, where it was going from a production standpoint of not knowing a schedule or I mean, not only with the case but also with climate impacts, not knowing when the next hurricane was going to hit or the next thousand year flood or the next wildfire. And I got a and governor in te- I got a governor in Texas you could interview <laughs> if you want to do that right now too. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, being able to like pivot and follow that and not necessarily knowing how long the case was going to be in the courts. And we decided about a year and a half ago that this story needed to come out. And it was it was it was time for us to try to find a way to wrap up the story so that we could get it out while the case is still active. Um, We just had a decision in the case um, last week, the Ninth Circuit Court denied the plaintiff's petition for an en banc review before the full Ninth Circuit Court. They did. So they are now, yes, this just happened last week. So they are now mm-hmm. going to be taking the case to the Supreme Court. They'll, they will be filing a petition for certiorari um, towards the summer, and the case will go before the Supreme Court. So that was an end card that we had to actually change this last week to say that um, that this case is now headed to the Supreme Court, and it's going to be you know, it's going to be there for a while, um, which really makes this film timely, I think, you know, to have a a case, to have a a story come out around a case that is still very much ongoing. The problem is you've got the wrong people on the Supreme Court right now. It's just, I don't see a happy ending uh, to this. Um, But that's okay because the the happy ending is uh, 21 kids who continue to fight um, mm-hmm. for their right to exist in a country that doesn't suffer from yeah. the ill effects of climate change. 
and they uh, all well, have the a Biden great administration voice. Also, the Biden administration also has an opportunity to come to the settlement table <clears throat> on this case. And ah, good point. Good point. Hadn't yes. thought about so that. So there, there are a lot of avenues still to still to take, and you know we also have a lot of. I think the plaintiffs and the legal team have a lot of faith in the the legal in the judicial system and in the the strength of our constitution. And, but yes, the, you know, the Biden administration can, can definitely come to the settlement table and they could clear and, all of this up on their own. <laughs> and, and thinking of that and watching the film, I got, you know, it starts in the uh, Obama, at the end of the Obama administration, and then there's that awful, awful, awful election of 2016. And, uh, and I realize that some of these kids uh, have spent a quarter of their lives living under that guy that was in the White House uh, starting in 2017. That and I just shudder. I'm thinking a quarter of my life under that that horrible, especially younger horrible. ones like um, Levi. Yeah, uh, who is who is one of the most charismatic people you have on this uh, in this <laughs> film. He's uh, he's quite uh, quite <laughs> quite a spokesperson for this uh, issue. It's been, yeah, Levi's great. I mean, just to see a little kid who was eight years old when he came onto this case and he's now 13 years old and has, has grown into this and found his voice. It's, um, it's really amazing. Yeah. All of these young people are my inspiration. Uh, so there you have it. It's an amazing film, Christy. What a job. What yeah, fabulous. you did. You did Thank a really you great so job. Much. And, and, I, fabulous. I, and I'm going to cop to it because I told her this the other day when we were checking out the, uh, the uh, connections here. I said, I, I wasn't prepared to like it. I mean, I was prepared to like it. I wasn't prepared to be as, be as engaged as I was mm-hmm. in the film. And, and that's a tribute to your filmmaking power. Uh, so I'm curious about yes. that, Mike, was that because it was, because you knew it was about a legal case. And so you, it, like, I'm, I'm curious about that initial reaction. Um, hmm. I don't know. Or it's just another climate change film. Did it feel like, like that was good. I, yeah, I think I think it would it, it might have been. Well, we all know where climate change is going and where it's going in the courts, which is uh, pretty much nowhere recently. And uh, so let's see what happens. But you, what you did was so engaging, and and the uh, the kids are so engaging that um, you won me over. You absolutely won me mm-hmm. over. I was riveted. So, <laughs> so how do we get how do we get a couple of kids on the show? How do we get a couple of those youth youths on the show? We can talk about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, Sounds so, good. All right. Uh, it is uh, Ute v. Gov. I'm sorry. I keep saying that. But, uh, youth v. Gov. Yeah, youth with a T-H, v. Gov, at the One Earth Film Festival starts on the 5th of, um, of uh, March and goes to the 14th. Go to oneearthfilmfest.org. Uh, and all it's all there. Uh, in fact, even and, at the top, it's got the youth con- the youth, youth contest that you can click on to see uh, the youth films as well. And uh, I, you're I, you're not going to get me to stop, and I'm I'm and, so embarrassed. You also have your own website too, Christy. Um, YouthVigovTheFilm.com. Yes, that's right. Oh. We have um, all the all the social platforms. 
Yeah, all, yeah. All, all the same stuff. Uh, but you know what? All that's uh, also at MikeNovak.net. So you can go there and get all the links uh, you want. And, uh, boy, I hope you, you get a chance to, uh, to see this film. And, um, and go to the festival. That's the idea. Is there's a lot of great stuff, and, and we're, we're happy to, uh, to help support them. Uh, Christy Cooper, thank you so much. What a, what a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike and Peggy. It's really been an honor. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, we'll do it again. I hope the next time uh, you spend six years on a film. Let's <laughs> <Good laughs> hope not. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Take care. Have, have a great okay. Sunday. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you so much. Uh, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We talk recycling your food scraps when we come back. When I'm with an older tree you know, and there's just something about it that draws you to it, it's similar to the ocean, draws you to it. And when I see a big tree and I'm going to climb it, I enjoy that moment and I'll give the tree a big old hug. My name's Chase Ferris. I work out of the Clackamas office just outside Portland, Oregon. I've been with Bartlett Tree Experts since October of 2016, and I'm a climber. I was kind of surprised and taken back by the, the quality of equipment and the amount of effort that goes into keeping everyone safe and keeping the jobs productive and making sure that you are progressing every day. And I enjoy that because I like to learn. I like the Raptor, and we, we use it quite a bit out on the West Coast. Our trees are pretty tall and the, the raptor is great for saving energy, allowing you to get into the canopy with minimal physical exertion so that you're fresh and ready to climb and do what you need to do, you know, when you're 65, 70 feet up or higher. So at my office, I feel like you could take just about anyone, put a crew together and send them out to a job and have it be successful. And that has to do with trusting the people you work with, feeling safe around them and knowing their strengths and weaknesses. Every tree needs a champion. You have the ability to give your soil a superpower. It's called composting. If you don't have a backyard, you need to contact Collected Resource Compost. CRC has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. They bring you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter from your kitchen, they swap it out and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a sips-on of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root, and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn, serene. And welcome back to the show. And uh, before we get to Erlene Howard, uh, Peggy, I'll let you handle this. Yeah, the Evanston Environmental Association's Wild and Scenic Film Festival goes virtual this March, and you can be there from your home. This year's films include the story of the first African-American male to complete the triple crown of hiking. How church forests in Ethiopia can, can, protect can I ask the bio... A question? Can I ask a yeah. question about that? Do yeah. you know what yeah. the triple crown of hiking is? 
Um, no, I was going to look it up, but I didn't. <laughs> okay. I'll I will find out, though. I'll bet. No. You look it up. I'm betting somebody who's watching us right now will send us a note and, and tell us what the Triple Crown. It's, it's probably the Appalachian Trail. That's what I'm thinking. That's got to be one. Probably the Rockies, some trail in the Rockies, and then uh, who knows. Uh, the third is the, uh, around the deck of uh, a, uh, a cruise ship uh, that's in the Caribbean. Around the Great Lakes? Maybe. Okay. All anyway. Right. So back to the Wild and Scenic Film Festival. So the first one we talked about, the story of the first African-American male to complete the Triple Crown of Hiking, how church forests in Ethiopia protect the biodiversity of old-growth forests, and a community effort to keep an oil refinery closed after an explosion. The festival happens from 6.30 to 9 p.m. on March 19th and 26th, and tickets are available starting at just $10. All the proceeds from the festival support the operations and programming of the Evanston Ecology Center. So for more information and to register, visit evanstonenvironment.org slash filmfest. That's evanstonenvironment.org slash filmfest. And Mac just uh, typed in the Pacific Crest is her guess. That might be one of the uh, triple cr- in the Triple Crown. I don't know. All right. Anyway. No, I'll, I'll look it up if our, our listeners who are smarter I, than we are don't I tell know us. you will. And let's bring in uh, – whoa. Wrong one. Okay, sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I meant to bring in this person. There we go. How about that? You know, you got to hit the right buttons here. Uh, that's our buddy, Erlene. And look at she's got uh, hey, Erlene. Uh, above her left she's shoulder. She's got a bucket behind her. Yeah, a bucket. And uh, this is this is what you do. You know what I, I meant to do yesterday? Well, actually, I, I did call you, but you were busy. And I thought, I want a shot of the wall of buckets that you had you put up recently i believe on the facebook uh page and the wall of buckets is so cool i want to i want a (laughs) photograph of that and we'll put it in to uh, the commercial we run for you and by the way yes you should know uh collective resource compost is a fine sponsor of the mike novak show with peggy malecki in full disclosure uh how are you erlene I am good, Mike and Peggy. It's so nice to be here. And um, yeah, that, that picture is free for the taking. I think you can right click on it right there from the Facebook page, but I'll definitely get you on. <laughs> get, get me a, um, a, yeah. a high res version of that, okay? And I can do something. <laughs> okay, I'll get that translated. Yeah, we're working, we're doing like um, like 16 or 1700 stops a week now on 32 routes. So when those buckets come back to our garage after getting the food scraps to the composting site, we do a lot of bucket washing. (laughs) You did. And I do you wash the bucket? I mean, it's just water or do you do something? Is it just water or you do something? No, we, we use soap and water and, um, and then we also do a, a bleach dip especially during um, fly season. So we don't want to leave any um, fly maggot eggs behind on the, on the buckets. So it depends on the season exactly what they need, but yeah, they get a a full scrubbing. Uh, And uh, let's explain the process very quickly for folks who are not familiar with it. The idea here being, yeah, if you've got a yard and you can put a compost pile in your yard, good for you. Go for it. This is a good thing because it keeps food scraps out of 
landfills. And when they go to landfills, the problem is instead of, you know, here's the science behind it. You're going to release carbon dioxide even if you create compost. But if you put it in a landfill, it turns into methane, which is a much worse um, uh, greenhouse gas. So we're keeping these food scraps out of uh, landfills by doing compost piles in our yard. However, a lot of people don't have backyards, and that's where you come in, right? Yeah, exactly. So um, there are people with yards that aren't super interested in in maintaining a compost pile. Um, So they might sign up for the service. What's different about using a commercial composting uh, service is that you can put in anything that was once alive. So things that you wouldn't necessarily compost in your backyard, like meat and bones and, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes high citrus. Um, you know, there are things sometimes that people don't want in their pile, depending on what they're using their finished compost for. And we provide the five gallon bucket or the 32 gallon, uh, tote that we use neighbor totes. And, um, and you just put your food scraps in it, and every time we come for a pickup, we take the full container away and and deliver one of those buckets that we um, washed already, <laughs> and it's ready for you guys to fill it up again. So my idea, which was now um, uh, 11 years ago, was that we, if it was easy, more people would put their food scraps in a bucket versus putting them in the landfill, creating that methane that Mike was talking about. Uh, we've had somebody already uh, uh, online say 32 routes, 1,600 stops. Exciting. So it's mm-hmm. it's remarkable because you've done this in a little over 10 years. We're celebrating 10 years of, of environmental good. Uh, the One Earth Film Festival is one of those things, and so is Collective Resource Compost. So you guys, it took you uh, how many months to get your first ton? Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, I started in my trunk of my car, my 2002 <laughs> Toyota Camry, which is still running, and um, uh, and and uh, did most of that collection completely on my own. And it took me six months to get that first ton (laughs) diverted. We're working with 2,700 customers now, and some of them have every other week service and some of them uh, less frequently than that. We have weekly, we have a a variety of services that'll meet anyone's needs, whether it's more containers or more frequent pickups. Um, Can people join seasonally? So I'm thinking right now I've got a compost bin that's full and partly frozen. And Mm -hmm. it's not going to start going down for a while. But in the summertime, it's cooking away. So can people just join for a while? Definitely. We, um, uh, in our franchise communities, we, that have yard carts that aren't available for the whole time, we have a very designated winter gap program, but anybody can sign up for any limited number of pickups they want. So come December or whenever you want to stop using your yard pile, you would just go in and let us know. And if you make it clear right away that you know by April 1st you want to be filling back into your yard cart, you can just let us know. So we'll set it up and and have the final pickup scheduled and and you know get you set up with the payment for that and um 
and then you won't worry about it. You won't have to trudge through yeah. the snow to your frozen. <laughs> yeah. Frozen yeah. Or, or, or people don't have to worry about putting it into the landfill for a few months. Exactly. Never put it in the landfill. Yeah. I think we've got one <laughs> of your, uh, one of your uh, customers, happy customer says, I'm loving collective resource this year. And obviously in the last two weeks more than ever, uh, because mm-hmm. my compost pile is, is buried in snow right now and as i mentioned to you the other day earlene uh i I have these little containers in the kitchen and then i take them usually just toss them into the compost pile uh well that's completely buried in snow and so i've been putting them into guess what a five gallon bucket (laughs) which is which now i'm going to dump into my compost pile as soon as it's uh warm enough for me to trudge through waist deep snow to uh to open it up don't let it freeze and thaw a few times i i did that with my uh my curbside one a couple years ago that was just nasty okay i'll keep that i'll keep that in mind but you you mentioned something uh earlier uh and by the way folks go to collectiveresource.us and uh, you can find that if you forget that uh, just go to my website, MikeNovak.net, and on the right side, you'll see uh, the logos of uh, uh, the yeah. sponsors for the show. And you click on it, it'll take you right there. And as you can uh, sign up, as Erlene and Peggy just uh, uh, let you know, uh, you can do it for. You don't have to have it year round. You can do it for uh, for a shorter time, uh, and you can we, get your neighbors involved too. You have neighbor totes. Uh, where how, how does the neighbor tote program work, Erlene? Yeah, so it, each neighbor tote has a host. So one uh, one relationship with collective resource compost, and then um, you know basically twenty four people could fill up a tote in a week. But if you have twelve people, you know, th- with a couple of households, then you would just have the tote picked up every other week. And and uh, depending on where you live, the price is either twenty two or twenty four dollars for that pickup. And, um, yeah, and then when there's more volume, you know, if, if you got your block involved, for example, mm-hmm. if there were, you know, once you started to expand the number of neighbor totes, then the price per tote would go down. So um, we just need one host for each, each tote. And, you know, if you pay for it annually, you get a 10% discount. If you pay for it quarterly, you get a 5% discount. And then basically you're going to collect a dollar per person per week from your neighbors. So <laughs> super inexpensive way to get your food mm-hmm. out of the landfill. Or you charge $2 in pocket a little bit for yourself. But uh, I don't want to get into that. <laughs> Carrying <laughs> charge. I don't, don't, don't want to get into that, the, the scheme. Uh, uh, now we do have a question. Somebody asked if you're going to be expanding into the western suburbs. Yeah. So if you want to put up our map, Mike, I don't know if you have that. I d- Easily. Uh, right on cue. Here we go. All right. I wish I could have yeah. it a little larger, but you can see the Chicago area. And, and what's the orange area? That's your primary or yeah, service so area? We serve all of these communities. Okay. So, and actually, we've actually moved a little bit farther south. We had a homeowners association down in the uh, east side of Naperville that was ready to come on board with a group pickup. So that, um, so we're, you know, we're always working, but as you see, we cover a lot of Chicago and we, um, you know, we hope to even expand that 
um, working in, but we go all the way up to Lake Bluff. Everything that's in light green, we service at least every other week. So we would make sure that you mm -hmm. had enough containers to get through a two week period. And with the buckets, you know, once they're full, you just um, clamp the lid down on them. They're, they're never a nuisance. So there's no worry about having food scraps for a little bit longer period of time. And then our orange area here is our franchise agreement communities where um, we have exclusive hauling rights where we're the only food scrap container swap model in town. And some of, some of these communities have yard cart programs um, that have either li limited service time or limited um, material that they take. And some of them, mm -hmm have yard services, but not food services. And um, because um, of our route density in these communities, um, we're able to offer a um, reduced price. So we're excited about those agreements and to be working with those um, towns for, <clears throat> you know, these extended periods of time yeah. that we're under contract. Yeah. Hope to, to so be with more communities like that. So Shelley, who asked about the western suburbs, said, what about Kane County? I haven't quite made it out to Kane County. <laughs> I I was born in um, Homewood, which is in southern Cook County. And kind of my initial goal was to be Cook County-wide, you know, but I ventured into Lake County already. Um, mm -hmm. And so... Yeah, so it really depends on how far are you out of the area that we're already at and how much of a presence you had. You know, now um, Park Ridge doesn't seem very far away, but that used to be the western boundary of our pickup. Mm -hmm. And uh, Go Green will, um, sorry, Go Green Park Ridge had, um, had like a drive and set up like 20 people who wanted to start. So it made it possible for us to go into their community every other week. And now they have a hearty group there. Their Go Green mm -hmm. group um, has done a really good job of getting the word out about using um, a bucket swap model to get your food out of the landfill and the importance of that. So I'm super yeah. excited about and, that. And you're also working so it, uh, uh, this year with uh, some municipalities on uh, commercial pickup, aren't you? Yeah. So, uh, so all, our franchise agreements are with, you know, in Evanston, we are the only food scrap hauler. So that is exciting. And in Skokie, we're the only um, option for the mm -hmm. commercial properties in, um, Morton Grove, we're an option. They don't, they have an open market. They don't have a one franchise agreement with any hauler on the commercial side there. So, so we're one of the options for Morton Grove. Mm -hmm. And we're hoping for those to extend where we've got a couple more conversations going on. Um, three that I can think of off the top <laughs> of my head to be working with other municipalities, which is, you know, is ideal because they know that they've got a reliable service and we know that we've got work that we can move forward and create all of the resources to be available to help their community. 
And Mary Beth uh, from your organization was uh, very helpful. She sent us a list of uh, Illinois municipalities that currently have composting programs. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, The Illinois Food Scrap Coalition put that together. Uh, Mm -hmm. And obviously, if you want that for your community, you should agitate for it. You should be calling. Well, you know, and and, and I'm going to be honest here. You're not the only outfit now. Ten years ago, you were it pretty much. Now others have gotten on board and there are other, uh, which is a good thing because a rising tide lifts all boats and lifts all compost, Mm -hmm. right? Right, exactly. Like our only competition is the status quo of putting that food into the landfill. Um, you know, if, if, however you get your food out of the landfill is amazing. So Deerfield, for example, just they're, they're the first community that I know of who is putting down a cart at every single single family home starting April 1st for yard waste and food scraps combined. That's going to be a year round program in Deerfield. What mm-hmm. an amazing thing. That's like Seattle, you know, that's like, you know, that's something that <laughs> Let's I Let's not get think crazy that, you know, here. Okay. Or San Francisco. Yeah, you're and, that's, and that's, that's through Lakeshore recycling. Cause we've had a pilot program here in Highland park on that for a few years. But it's not every uh, residence. You have to sign up for it. Yeah, this is every resident with like no increased cost to their to the how they pay for their trash. It's just going to be worked into their their regular system. I am thrilled, you know, thrilled, 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 and I I think that we'll see more of those type of programs where everybody's going to start getting to be accountable to having some food scrap diversion um, program from their household or their business. I think that that is the wave of the next couple of years here of what we're going to see throughout Chicagoland. Uh, let's get into some of the generalities uh, of, uh, of composting. You mentioned earlier that in a compost pile, you can pretty much put anything organic and as you say, and and I like to tell people when they say, "Well, what, what's organics?" and I say, "Well, pretty much anything that was once alive and is now not alive is something that's an organic <laughs> material." Uh, but that said, when you look at websites, a lot of composting websites for for homes, uh, for backyards, they say, "Please do not put in meat products. Do not put in dairy products." Uh, but you're different. And, 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 and the reason they say that in your own yard is because they're worried about critters getting in there. Of course, if it's, if it's contained, uh, you, can, you can keep them out. But So talk about that difference just a little bit early. Yeah, it's not just the critters, Mike. Um, even though you don't want rats, you know, which the, the meat and the dairy would definitely heighten the interest of some of those scavengers, the raccoons and rats and stuff. But the piles, the commercial piles where we bring our materials are huge. 18 feet wide, nine feet tall. They actually cook inside. And most of the home piles are what we call cold piles. They don't necessarily, especially in our um, part of the world, don't get hot. The the nitrogen carbon interaction it is not enough to heat up the piles. 
And so while the food does break down, it doesn't cook. And cooking is what needs to happen to kill the problems that you could have with the, yeah, the pathogens, the, the meat that, you know, especially if it's not cooked all the way or the seafood shells or, you know, that kind of stuff could really be a health issue you know, if you were taking it from your pile and putting it in your garden and growing food, you could really get some people sick. The other piece of the commercial composting, if I haven't answered your whole question, let me know. But the other piece of commercial composting um, has a big um, impact on us creating zero waste events of Mm -hmm. being able to have a lot of 100% paper plates or paper boats to collect food waste. Yeah, so the, the um, and there's a lot of things going on with the plastic industry and, um, and the plant-based plastics about getting them, we're working on a study here through the Illinois Food Scrap Coalition um, about getting the plastics, you know, getting the right procedure to get the plant-based plastics to break down and to work more on labeling and on coloration and you know you know make sure it's not every green bag isn't compostable but we would like to make every compostable bag green and have it labeled compostable so you know we want when you add in compostable disposables you get into more contamination possibilities so we want to definitely um, grow that part of the industry. But if you wanted to have a zero waste ballpark, then you would want to be able to compost a lot of carbon, a lot of paper material, and to be able to have the thin um, beer cups or pop cups or whatever made from corn or other natural materials. Yeah, that's that's the difficulty here. I mean, you can't throw a Starbucks cup into your uh, compost pile because it's made of a couple of substances and you've got plastic as part of it. Uh, that's not going to break down and don't even get me started on recyclable cups. We'll we'll, we'll do that on a, on a different segment mm-hmm. on the show. But as you mentioned, uh, what about the uh, the uh, compostable? And I'm using air quotes here. Compostable uh, plasticware. Um, if you put that in your own compost pile in the back, you come back in a year. You're still going. You put a fork in. You're still going to have a fork. It's going to be there, right? Uh, because you need the heat to break those you down. You need the heat, and and you, and we're trying to kind of bring some accountability to the certifiers because the utensils do not break down in the Midwest. They do not break down in windrow composting or static aerated piles. They, they, they are not good for the industry currently. So, um, but when you get into the thinner material, like a bag or a drink cup, that's not mm-hmm. designed. So the drink cups aren't designed for heat. That you know, if you want a compostable coffee cup, it's a paper cup that's lined with uh, plant-based plastic, and then that will break down because that plastic is really thin. Or if you have a cold drink cup, 
that's really thin also, you know, and that can get ground up and it will break down. Probably not as fast as we would like it to, but it will break down. And But when you get a fork or a spoon, a spoon that's made to go into hot soup, and not break. And not break and not melt in your mouth, right. you know? <laughs> Well, yeah, we it's, still it's, ha- it's still got to yeah. be tweaked. Yeah, we haven't yeah, figured so that out at all. Yeah. And I love, I mean, I'm a board member at the Illinois Food Scrap Coalition. I love what they're working on for the industry and trying to make, uh, you know, make our, you know, make this possible. I mean, it, we, I think a lot of people have a, a big, good vision of what's next, but we do need a few more compost sites. Uh, all and, over uh, Illinois. We, all by the over way, Illinois. Yeah, we do. And a uh, really good question here, and it'll be the last one. Um, do you work with food pantries that often have food waste? We do do some. Um, there's some volunteer work being done through the, um, the through Illinois Food Scrap Coalition. We do have a discount rate um, on our tote service for um, organizations that are feeding people. And so um, we're, we're doing our best, you know, if it helps if, you know, if the food pantry is not too far away from a other large producer to be able to get, you know, the prices discounted or to get some sponsorship from neighboring um, organizations. We can't do it for free. At least we can't do all of it for free. Well, you're you're a but. business after all, and and I imagine you can you know, set up a, uh, a a good rate for somebody. But come on, right. this is this is part it's of the business. Why why not get capitalism involved in making the planet a better place? I think that, <laughs> that that's what we call win win, right? Well, and. Everybody who knows me knows I'm not a millionaire. (laughs) I've been been working very diligently for 10 years, 11 years at this, and many years before cleaning up other situations. Well, you've still got the 2002 car, I guess. Uh, So uh, that tells you something right there. Um, (laughs) I've I've watched you. I've watched you clean pots. When you were Mm -hmm. renting out a space, uh, on the north side uh-huh. of Chicago, I came by and watched you guys yeah. uh, cl- clean we, out yeah, the buckets. We've, we've watched you uh, sorting so- recycling at many an event. Oh, oh. right. Uh, and I, you know, I can't wait to be elbow deep in, in sorting and being able to be with people <laughs> and on the other side of this horrible pandemic. Uh, uh, I that's can't true. Believe those. Uh, but then we get to the point and we don't have time anymore. Uh, but at some point you got to come back and explain to us why even environmentalists can't figure out what goes in which bin at an event. Like, I mean, (laughs) I'm telling you, we go to these events, uh, you know, back when there wasn't a pandemic and some day in the future, if that ever happens again, uh, just stare at the bins and go, where do I put it? Where do I put this? And that's why Erlene has to stand there and say, no, that goes there. And and that goes there. But why is it that even environmentalists can't figure it out? That's driving, that drives me crazy. Yeah. Well, I think that we need to make it simpler. You know, we have to, we have to make things that are labeled recyclable, really be recyclable. So there's not that question. And then yeah. it would be very simple if if you knew exactly 
what was recyclable, then it was be really clear about what would go in the compost bin versus what would go into the trash. But composting is definitely the easy way, the super easy way to reduce what ends up in the landfill. And it's so straightforward. And, you know, I, I, I love I love when people stop and ask. I only have a hard time when people walk up and say, "Oh, I know, I've got this," and then they throw everything in. And one then they of get the it wrong. <laughs> and they yeah. get it wrong. You yeah. know? And, and then you're you, picking them out of the bins and putting them in the right ones. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, you've got one of those pictures of me manning the way station. <laughs> oh yeah, at, with all my oh, orange yeah. buckets around me. Exactly. Um, yeah. I know what that's like. All right, I gotta let you go, but uh, we will oh, have that. We gotta so have good that. to talk to you both. Thank you so much for having me today everybody uh if 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 you if you care about the planet you want to keep food scraps out of landfills go to collectiveresource.us and try it out try out the service you're going to be really happy because it's like no muss no fuss they take care of it they bring back a clean tote um uh, or a bucket and Boom, done right you don't even have to think about it so early howard thank you so much and uh, uh we'll talk again real soon okay all right. Thank you. Uh, all Take right. care. Have a good day. You too. You Bye-bye. Too, uh, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Guess who's coming up next? It's that meteorologist guy, Rick DeMaio, and we'll be right back. Hello from Happy Leaf. This is BJ Miller, the horticulturist here on staff. The best way we can help you be successful with indoor gardening is to provide you with a really great grow light. There are a lot of choices on the market and it can be extremely confusing to decide what you need. Our goal here at Happy Leaf is to provide you with a light that lasts a very long time and makes your plants really happy. We have several satisfied customers, including our friends Mike Novak and Peggy Malecki, because we have specifically designed a light that is versatile, it's very effective, and it is extremely simple to use. Our lights are perfect for seed starting, but you can do so much more, especially these months of the winter. You can supply yourself with your own leafy greens and herbs, grow lots of different types of vegetables, keep your small fruit trees thriving, and your houseplants will think you've sent them for a day at the spa. At this time of year, we spend a lot of time indoors with our plants, so help them thrive. The plants you're viewing were treated with Leafzyme, a foliage spray designed to activate beneficial microbes already present on the leaves. A spritz every few weeks promotes growth-enhancing microorganisms that process dust and other particles into nutrition that indoor plants can absorb through their leaves for beautiful and vigorous growth. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. From small boat fishermen to your dinner table with safe, free, no-contact delivery. Sitka Salmon Shares brings premium wild Alaska seafood to your door. They're a community-supported fishery offering shares just like your local CSA. All fish is wild-caught in season with respect for the limits of the ocean. Line-caught and traceable to their fleet. Use promo code NOVAK25 for $25 off the first month of a share. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com N-O-W-A-K. And uh, here we are. Sorry about that. I went and uh, was rewarming my coffee, and I almost had enough time uh, to do that. Oh, and and Rick's got to be off by ten forty-five too. So is that what he says? Okay. Well, yep. let's let's, uh, let's get him get on. Him on.
let's see. I don't see him there. Rick, uh, are are you with us this morning? I do not see Rick on the I will line. Text him. Uh, boy, I hope he didn't use that old line we had because I, I thought we were using this new one here. Uh, I do not see him in his, uh, spot there. Oh, but while you're doing that, I will let folks know that the Evanston Environmental Association's Wild and Scenic Film Festival goes virtual this March, so you can attend from the comfort of your home. This year's films include the story of the first African-American male to complete the triple crown of hiking, which we figured out, and we'll tell you about that. Our, our listeners and viewers uh, got that for us. Um, and uh, how church forests in Ethiopia protect the biodiversity of old-growth forests and the story of one community's fight to keep an oil refinery closed after an explosion. Always a good thing. The special event happens on two nights, March 19th and 26th, 6.30 to 9 p.m., and tickets are available starting at $10. All proceeds support the Evanston Ecology Center. For more info and to register, visit evanstonenvironment.org slash filmfest. Uh, have you heard anything back uh, from... Uh, I've, I've texted him. Um I hope he's uh, he he was on this line. He's last in his time. car. All right. Saw a comment from from Judy who asked about Lake Ice moving south to north. A good sign, and I saw that yesterday too. Um, the ice was moving north. Huh. Which was interesting. It's there. There's uh, some open areas out there um, on the lake, but it's fairly frozen. I mean, you couldn't walk on it. That's for sure. There's a lot of open areas and and uh, ice moving, but there still is a lot of ice flow. And by the way, the, the correct answer to the triple crown of uh, hiking is, uh, and Mac was right when she texted in earlier, uh, the Pacific Crest, the Appalachian Trail, and Rick, uh, Rick says the link is not working. Okay, I can send him. Okay, let me just do this. You you do something interesting. Do something really interesting, Peggy, because I can actually. Send... <laughs> I can't. I have nothing to juggle with right here. Wait a second. <laughs> talk talk about a story or so, or something. So talk, I will... talk about one one of the things that we were going to talk about today is um, you may have heard on the news is the Union Pacific Railroad um, was going to start some tree clearing along their right of way through Highland Park and up to Lake Forest. So basically, from Lake Cook Road north along Route Forty One. And this is a whole program that the UP Railroad said for safety, they need to clear all of their right-of-way, all trees, not just dead, not just dying, but they, they put all trees as, quote, operational hazard along UP-owned right-of-way on either side of the train tracks running parallel to Route 41. Um, and this was supposed to have started February 8th. And on Friday, February 5th, Union Pacific notified the city of Highland Park that the planned tree removal project has been put on hold. Uh, there was a lot of people who found out what was happening and started contacting UP, started talk, contacting the city, the county, et cetera, and saying, what do you mean you're going to clear all of the trees? So it's, um, it's kind of interesting because they're starting in Wisconsin, apparently, but this is an overall thing that UP does on their right-of-way 
according to the project frequently asked questions that I'm looking at right now, which is on cityhpil.com, um, that they decided that the best way to, to take care of safety concerns is just remove all trees, new trees, old trees, dead trees, live trees, take them all out. So this is on hold and this has been on a couple of the local news. So it's be interesting to see where this goes. Yeah, that's, uh, and, and I don't think it has, as you said, it's, I wasn't aware of it until you pointed it out to me. And, uh, uh, yeah, we're not going to get Rick. I can tell you right now, because I, I tried to send him a new, it won't let me send out a new link. So then speaking of recycling, you were going to talk a little bit this morning about recycling in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, there was a, in fact, let me find that uh, video because I was watching this video. It was the Joint Committee on Environmental Protection and Energy Ethics and Government Oversight. Some of you might remember that the um, uh, Office of the Inspector General of the City of Chicago did a report a little while ago and said, yeah, Chicago's recycling uh, is really awful. Uh, and the, the buildings uh, that are supposed to have the way the way it's set up, it's a, there's a a two tier system in Chicago. Actually, they're side by side. It's not like this. It's more like this, um, where you have the blue carts, which are in the residential homes, and resident is decide, uh, um, determined uh, by four units or fewer. So, if you've got a four flat, anything less a two flat, a three flat, or a single family residence, you get a blue cart for for each of those. Uh, above four, that you're supposed to get a contract with, you know, and I can't believe we're, to, you know, after all these years, we still have to explain to people how recycling works in Chicago because people who live in the suburbs go, what? We just pick it up. Although I imagine even in suburbs, uh, businesses, ha- businesses have their own um, uh, haulers, waste haulers. But in Chicago, if, if you're building has five or more units in it, you're supposed to contract with a waste hauler and get recycling. Well, guess what we found out, uh, and we knew this, uh, the uh, the city uh, doesn't keep records of that. And uh, the Office of Inspection, and, and, you know, we had the Better Government Association on. We've had them over the last couple of years to talk. They've done studies on this and exposés and say, yeah, the city doesn't, you know, not only is a blue card at 9%, which is a terrible rate, but the uh, uh, city doesn't even uh, have contracts with a lot of these large buildings. And then the office of the inspector general said the same thing and said, yeah, mm-hmm. this is kind of an embarrassment. And so there was this committee uh, meeting on February 10th um, where uh, the Department of Streets and Sand and a bunch of alder critters and some uh, uh, various organizations like Chicago Recycling Coalition and also the Office uh, of the Government Inspector, the OGI, uh, all testified. And basically it came down to, well, uh, we, we really don't have the, the manpower to, to do that. We, we really don't know how, you know, Streets and Sands saying, well, it'd be really great if some other departments could uh, help us with this. So I, I, I just, I was watching this. You know, and and yelling at the screen, uh, and uh, it's I I don't I don't think see things change. I mean, there there was a law passed in 
2017 that was supposed to take care of this, that was supposed to address the issue of, of the high-rises in Chicago. Well, it's not been addressed. It's not been addressed at all. And uh, is anything going to change? I don't know. Here's how things change when you get the political will to do it. And as we all know, that all starts at the top. And right now, uh, there's, seems to, there's been no political will regarding environmental mar- matters in Chicago for at least 11 years now. Uh, even uh, Richie Daly, who had a Department of the Environment, had uh, some real gaps in that. But it, at that time, we had a Department of the Environment. Yeah. Uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot ha- does not have a Department of the Environment, although she ran on reestablishing the DOE. Um, and um, uh, is anything going to change? No, I don't think so. Um, and it's interesting because something else had happened within the same week that I told you about, Peggy, was that I saw this op-ed piece in the uh, Sun-Times by Suzanne Malik McKenna, who was the mm-hmm. last commissioner of the Department of the Environment uh, uh, before it was d- disbanded in 2011. Uh, and she basically said, she wrote a piece about Mayor Lori Lightfoot and said, yeah, uh, she's really not been very good for the environment. And, you know, she's, and, and, and she put a positive spin on it. She said, there's still time. You can still do this. Yeah. Um, and I'm looking at that and thinking, hmm, I'm seeing one-term mayor here. So I think we should start addressing Lori Lightfoot as one-term mayor Lori Lightfoot because she's had so many other issues. But certainly the environment has been chief among them. And, and, and not only is it recycling, um, it's uh, the south side where we've talked about uh, General Iron mm-hmm. uh, going in there. And that is still up in the air, whether that's yeah, going to happen. A, the hunger strike happening yeah. for that tomorrow, too. That, I'm glad we brought that up. There are people on a hunger strike to keep General Iron out of the 10th Ward, uh, which we've talked about on this show. It's a company that was in Lincoln Park until the beginning of this year, uh, and they were trouble. They were a bad neighbor, a bad actor in Lincoln Park, and now um, they've been absorbed by another comp- company, but it's going to be if not exactly the same operation, a similar operation, and they're going to put it down the street from a high school in the 10th Ward. And, of course, the people in the neighborhood don't want that. Um, and that doesn't even begin to address the, uh, the, the, uh, the waste dump at the mouth of the Calumet River that the Army Corps of Engineers is continuing or considering building up. Uh, it's just uh, if, if it's a yeah, 10th it's Ward. Yeah, it's there already. Yeah. Just making it even bigger. Uh, land that should have been returned to the city in 1994, which is still controlled by the Corps of Engineers. So this is this is our environmental situation in in the city of Chicago. And then another thing that's going on right now that you might be interested in, because I've been following this, uh, there is an ordinance uh, introduced by uh, Alderman Hopkins that would create a registry of native plants as you know for years people who have put native gardens in their yards uh, have often not always but often been fined 
by the city of Chicago and forced to pay fines of somewhere between $600 and $1,200 uh, for having plants that uh, are considered weeds. There you go, the air quotes again. Uh, and so one of the ways to look at that right now is uh, the city is considering uh, enacting a registry. So you mm-hmm. you have a native garden, you've got uh, native plants in it, and you don't want to have the city come after you, uh, and uh, you can get on the registry. Uh, there's issues, though, with that. I mean, I've been looking at the language of it. Uh, there seems to be a jurisdictional issue. Is it going to be the Streets and Sanitation Department that's going to handle this, or is it uh, development and planning that's going to, to handle it? Who's There is no Department of the Environment, as I mentioned, which would be a perfect fit for them. Um, are, is there going to be training? Uh, are you going to have to have 100% native plants? That's one of the things that says all native plants. Well, anybody who grows native plants, anybody who gardens anywhere, knows that things pop into your yard. They do. They just happen to pop into your yard whether you want to or not. So let's say an inspector comes, and first of all, they probably don't know the difference between overgrown grass and native plants, and then they say, well, what's that dandelion doing there? Or what's that other plant doing there? You know, when you're supposed to have a 100% native plant yard, that's just not a possibility. Uh, At any rate, the point is there are issues. It's murky. It's murky, and I'm hearing that there's going to be um, public meetings about, or I hope at least a public meeting so it doesn't happen all behind the scenes. Um, So that is in the in the pipeline as well. And I'm following that and trying to, uh, you know, it's all connected to the weed law and there might be changes in the weed law as well. One of these uh, sticking points is this weird part of the law that says no plant can be more than 10 inches high. Folks uh, write to me right now and tell me a native plant that is not more than 10 inches high. All right, or doesn't have coneflowers have... taller than that? <laughs> it's it's just nuts, and they want setbacks, you know, like three feet from any sidewalk. Well, if you're in a city and you got three foot setbacks on on all sides, you're going to have a a garden about that big. Um, How big? But the ten inch thing is the killer. Uh, th- this big, that big. It's just that big. Little micro uh, garden. The little 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 tiny. Native garden. Uh, but the 10-inch law rule is is one that's going to cause issues, um, and it continues to cause issues. It seems to be a number that uh, sprang up whole uh, in the midst of time. And now everybody says, well, no, it's what everybody says, 10 inches. Well, nobody knows where that number came from, um, but it's there. And 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 I do understand that there are, there are vacant lots that are – where um, slumlords abuse the privilege of having a lot and they let things grow over and you have to fix those lots and you have to make sure that they're not even necessarily slumlords. It's just, it's an empty lot. Yeah. But nobody's, but if you own the lot, you really, if you own the lot, you should be taking care of it, especially if you have a lot of it. Um, Somebody asked, is the 10 inch height of plants in a lawn? What in in a lawn? It's the ten inch height of plants in a lawn or in a garden. Uh, it's so in the garden. Ask. 
Well, it, in lawn too. I mean, if you let your lawn grow over ten inches, you're you're violating the law too. Uh, the the idea was the ten inches was set up so that if a lawn is let to overgrow above ten inches, you have the city can come and issue you a ticket and cut it down. Uh, the problem is when you apply it to native gardens, you're going to be it's going to be very hard. Now they're saying that in the registry you could have plants above ten inches, but not if you put them in a parkway. And some people are going to want to put them. I have plants in a parkway that are. We've we've had we've had gardens in the um, Sega competition that are in the parkway. Yep, native plants in parkways. And and non-native plants in parkways that are really pretty and 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 we've given awards to. So, mm-hmm. this is all in the pipeline. This uh, native plant registry is going on right now, and uh, I don't know how quickly it's going to be uh, resolved. But I'm hoping they they were supposed to have ta- a town hall tomorrow or Tuesday or Wednesday. Well, I think the snowstorm sort of put that back, and probably other issues have put it back. Uh, if I hear about it, I'm certainly going to let everybody know because this is uh, an issue that uh, we we want to weigh in, Peggy and I, as uh, people who have started the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards because it's going to affect the people who who enter our contest and, and what we judge. Uh, but certainly anybody who wants to have native plants. Um, well, and I'm thinking of like Keeler Gardens. Yeah. Oh, there's there's our whole front lawn and parkway. Everything is dozens a, a native. and dozens and dozens of gardens in the city, uh, and, and 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 as I have said, and nobody see, seems to listen to me when I say this. If you trained people, I think in an hour I could teach somebody to tell the difference between an overgrown lawn and a native garden. Give me an hour. I I I think I could do that, and then and then you just half an hour. Uh, well, I'm trying to be generous about that um but there's a look to an overgrown lawn that a native garden just doesn't have or there's a look to a native garden that an overgrown lawn doesn't have if you want to put it that way the positive spin on it so i don't know so uh there that is in the works too but we still can't recycle we're still finding people for growing native plants in their in our yards so even though we're trying to get rid of that uh, problem, and we're still trying to put industry in the 10th ward where the folks down there don't want it. So those are some of the environmental issues in the city of Chicago. Okay. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. All right. And I just what? <laughs> I'm, Alan! Uh, 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 yeah, even better. Alan! 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 Al! Alan. Okay, uh, so let me just uh, get this. Alrighty then. At the at the <laughs> that's right. Well, alrighty then. I won't even do. Uh... Sure, wish we'd had Rick. Oh well. That's right. Let's just dance. Uh, I want to thank everybody on the show today, uh, who is here. The folks from the One Earth Film Festival. Uh, it was great having Christy Cooper and Shannon Germain on. I want to thank er- Erlene Howard from Collective Resource Compost. Go to collectiveresource.us. Uh, and, uh, of course, 
basil and legato. Legato's here someplace. At the Basil's ten- been really quiet this Yeah, week. really. The 10,000 sparrows in my yard, uh, Kathleen, everybody else. Until next time, go green or... Go home. Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.